Good morning. The Bible reading is from First Thessalonians chapter 4, um, verse 13, and it can be found in your Pew Bible, page 1683. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Chapter 5. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and date we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. What people are saying, peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer rough, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Thanks, Minley. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you that um, you promise that it won't return to you empty, but it will do that for which you send it. So... As your word worked in the Thessalonians all those years ago, we pray, do your work in our lives today for Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay, can I ask you please to take out the leaflet that you're given as you came in? Uh, you'll see inside, as usual, a detailed outline of what I'm going to cover. The whole Bible passage is reprinted there for you, so if you have that open, you don't need to juggle um, the open Bible as well. You'll see at the bottom right, we'll get to a discussion question at the end of the day. It'll just be a chance for you to be able to talk with the person next to you about some of the things we've been reflecting on. Uh, if you look at the top left, you'll see that the question I want to start with today is, how do you feel about death? How do you feel about death? It's a pretty serious question, so let me ease into it by saying that um, recently Wendy and I have been watching a procedural crime show called Bones. There's a picture on the screen behind me. Uh, picture on screen? Picture on screen? There might be a picture on screen. Um, let me tell you about Bones is all about a forensic pathologist who examines human remains to work out how people died, hence her nickname is Bones. Now, what's amazing about this show is that no matter how complicated the case, she always solves it in 40 minutes. It's amazing. 
Um, bit of a spoiler alert for you, it's a bit gory at times. Sometimes we've had to put down our food whilst we've been eating. What I particularly like about this show is that it is, um, it's basically a love story between the two lead characters, who you can see on screen. Now, fun fact about me is that I only watch TV shows for the romantic interest. Um, I'm generally irritable until the tension gets resolved, and if they don't get together in the final episode, I hate the entire series. Uh, at the moment, they're together, so I'm very happy. Uh, what struck me this week as we were watching this show is that I really don't pay much attention to the fact that the basic premise of the show is all about death. Now, I know that's kind of obvious, right? But I realise that I very rarely stop to pause and think about death and dying. As you're aware, my father died earlier this year, uh, four months ago, actually, on Wednesday. And I spent much of this week gone by up in Sydney, helping my mother move from the house that she's lived in for the last 17 years into a retirement village. And the reality and the, the, reality and the consequences of death, they felt very real. How do you feel about death? I think it's understandable that we don't like to talk about it, we don't like to think about it, it is very hard and painful. And yet in today's passage, Paul says, don't be overwhelmed, but for a very unusual reason. He actually says there's a more important question for us to come to terms with. That question is not, how do you feel about death, but how do you feel about the fact that Jesus is coming back? Uh, the story so far in Thessalonians, uh, we're in Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, it was a church that he planted around the year AD 50, but he had to flee after just a few weeks because of significant anti-Christian opposition. Uh, unsurprisingly, he's been pretty concerned about them because they still had so much to learn and he had no time to teach them. Uh, and so, in this section, chapters 4 through 6, as we saw last week, his focus is on how they live in order to please God. You'll see there on your handout, last week he talked about uh, avoiding sexual immorality, about loving all of God's family. This week, we're going to see that the, one of the ways in which we live in order to please God is that we get informed about death. And Paul, in particular, has two things that this passage is going to cover. They're both there on your handout. On the left-hand side, point one, Christians know that death is not the end. And then at point two, because we don't know when Jesus will return, make sure you're ready. Let's talk about each of them for a while. Firstly, point one, Christians know that death is not the end. It seems that what happened is that in the months after Paul left the Thessalonians, some of them had died, perhaps of natural causes. And the survivors were worried about what would happen to their loved ones uh, would they miss out when Jesus returned? Because uh, it seems that actually the Thessalonians thought that that was imminent. Uh, that gives rise, I think, to what the key question is in this part of the reading, and you'll see it's there on your handout. What happens to Christians who die before Jesus returns? The way that Paul answers is to explain what happens to everybody when Christ comes back, uh, whether we're dead or alive at the time. Now, the first thing we see there is in verse 13, we see Paul's concern, Paul's concern, uh, verse 13, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. Uh, when he says we do not want you to be uninformed, literally he says we don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want you to be ignorant. Paul is at pains to say that information and knowledge are vital. 
to use a different phrase, you might say education is the key to our future. And his big idea is going to be that if Jesus died and rose again, then anyone who has already died and is with Jesus, well, they will return with him when he comes in glory. Pick it up with me, verse 13. Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who've fallen asleep in him. You hear Paul's logic. If Jesus died and rose again, then anyone who is in him, even if they have died, there is hope for them still. In fact, uh, here's the big idea for this section, Christians know that death is not the end. Uh, So much so that actually Paul can use the metaphor of saying, uh, they've fallen asleep. Anyone who dies, they have fallen asleep. Uh, Three times he uses that, verse 14, 13, 14, 15, I've put them in bold, so it's pretty obvious. That's why I've called today's talk at the top left, I've called it, when dying equals sleeping. When dying equals sleeping. Now, notice that what Paul explicitly says is that this only applies to those who die in Christ. It only applies to those who die in Him. This does not mean, this does not apply to everyone. So, in other words, if you die not in Christ, then you can't be said you are just sleeping. It's only those who die in Christ. Or to put it slightly differently, if you die without Christ, then you are without hope. There is nothing more to come. I'm going to come back to this idea in chapter 5, but for now, see how Paul's confidence is grounded in what God is going to do. Verse 14, God will bring. And likewise, his assurance about God will do in the future, it's based on what he's already done in the past, in Christ. Verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so, Paul is adamant, death is not the end for Christians. Uh, In fact, what he's got to go on to say in verses 15 through 17 in the next part is that anyone who dies before Jesus returns, they will get to be first in line when he comes back. Pick it up with me, verses 15 through 17. Verse 15. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, we will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Okay, a couple of things to note. Firstly, verse 15, Paul says, according to the Lord's word, according to the Lord's word. Uh, Paul is not making this up. Paul is not saying, take my word for this. This is according to God's word. And the second thing to notice is that what he describes, those who've fallen asleep are rising up in the air to meet Jesus. Um, It is a very deliberate allusion to the way in which the citizens of an important city like Thessalonica what they would do when Caesar came to visit their city. They would go out to meet him. 
And as they did so, it would be something that's grand and spectacular, as befits a special occasion. You notice some of the phrases there. The voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God. There is a fanfare announcing the arrival of a dignitary. Which got me thinking what it would be like if we were to greet the head of state today. Have a look on the screen behind me. And there's a picture here. Uh, some of you will know what this is. This is a picture here from when Queen Elizabeth II first visited Adelaide, 3rd of March, 18, uh, 1954. Uh, in fact, almost the whole city turned out, according to the advertiser, so, you know, make what you will of the statistic I'm about to quote to you, but apparently 200,000 people turned out and lined the route from the airport all the way to the city. That's 40% of the entire population of, the, of Adelaide went to greet her arrival. A spectacular occasion. Now, that might do it for you, you might find that hard to imagine, so maybe instead imagine, if you can, a welcome home parade for your winning football team. That might happen this year, probably won't, but, uh, oh, sorry, that's a bit rough, isn't it? <laughs> or maybe, this one you will get, think of the event that brings our city to a standstill every November, the arrival of Santa in the pageant, right? That's the picture that Paul is using to describe what it will be like when Jesus returns. We go out to meet him. And Paul says that when that happens, verse 16, the dead in Christ will rise first, before verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That is, everyone who is in Christ will be with him forever. And the image that Paul uses of us being elevated into the sky, into the air, I guess he's just trying to draw a contrast between that and having fallen asleep and being buried in the ground. It is, I think, a beautiful reminder that we here at Trinity, we belong not just to this church, we belong to the church universal. The church universal, which is the gathering of Christians, not just around the world today, it's everyone who came before us and everyone who is still to come. How comforting to know that everyone who has died in Christ before us is basically just sleeping. Which means that if we're also in Christ, we will see them when we wake. And likewise, if you are in Christ and you die before he returns, still, you're not going to miss out. In fact, you'll be first in line. Sorry, you, still, you won't miss out, which I think is a great relief if you're facing death at this moment. Let me talk briefly about application. Uh, can you see how Paul's confidence about what God will do in the future, it changes everything about how we feel about today. There's a slide on screen behind me. Uh, I've been talking in recent weeks about the upcoming site redevelopment. I've been saying that it's drawing near. Now, I still don't have any news, but stay tuned. Uh, what I want to do this morning is acknowledge the very real sadness that some of our more mature members feel about knowing that they probably won't be alive to see it completed. Uh, especially those who were here when we bought the car park some 30 years ago, 
uh, those who've ridden the roller coaster of the ups and downs of seven different failed attempts to redevelop the site. I don't want to downplay their sadness, but I do want to say that if you happen to fall asleep in Christ, then you're going to be first in line to meet him when he returns. After which, all of us will be reunited and together with the Lord forever. It seems to me that that goes a pretty long way to softening the blow. Uh, Let me be really clear on this. Um, I think we ought to be careful never to succumb to an insensitive kind of triumphalism that we see in some Christian circles. Uh, This is the kind of sentiment that says to someone who's mourning the death of a loved one, don't cry, they're with Jesus now. I want to say it's true, they are with Jesus. That's great for them, they're just sleeping. But it's still pretty rubbish for those of us who've been left behind. Our grief is real and it ought not be suppressed because it really hurts. Actually, we know that that's a legitimate response because that's how Jesus reacted when he went to the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus. Even though Jesus knew he was about to raise him from the dead, still we're told, John eleven thirty five, 35, there on your handout, he weeps. So as Christians, we do grieve, but not without hope. We grieve, but not without hope. We do both. And that's what I've said at every funeral that I've ever conducted. It's why Paul will conclude, verse 18, verse 18, therefore encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. I remember that he said earlier he didn't want them to be uninformed. And in fact, everything that he's spoken has been according to the Lord's word. Paul is saying, these words really make a difference. We'll come back to that idea in just a moment. So point one, Christians know that death is not the end. Point two then, on the right-hand side of your handout, here's the second thing Paul is saying in this passage. Because we don't know when Jesus will return, make sure you're ready. Because we don't know when Jesus will return, make sure you're ready. Well, having encouraged the Thessalonians about what happens to those who die before Jesus returns, Paul moves on to the other question that was apparently bothering them. Uh, this is that next key question that's there on your handout. When will Jesus return? When will Jesus return? Now, I want to acknowledge that's a pretty fair question to ask, really. Uh, especially for those, uh, I guess, amongst us who like to know the details of things. You know, if you're thinking, look, that's great that Jesus is coming back. I'm really pleased. But could you just be a little bit more specific about exactly when? so that I can be really sure, but particularly so that I can make sure that I'm ready and prepared. Well, let's see what Paul has to say in answer to this question. Pick it up in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, on the right-hand side of your handout. Verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, peace and safety... Destruction will come on them suddenly, as labour pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Okay, the first thing to notice is that, uh, and what's striking here, is that unlike chapter 4, 
where Paul said, we don't want you to be uninformed. Now Paul says, verse 1, about dates and times, we don't need to write to you. That is, Paul is not going to give them any more information because, as he's about to say, no one knows the exact timing of Christ's return. And in fact, in verses 1 through 3, you would have noticed he uses three different illustrations to say, whenever Jesus comes, it will be, it's guaranteed, but whenever it is, it will be a surprise. So he talks firstly about a thief in the night. Thief in the night. Thieves don't give you advance notice that they're about to come to your place. Or he talks about, secondly, the ambush of a fortified city that comes out of the blue. Now, I take it here that he's referring to that earlier image that we saw, you know, about a city going out to meet the arrival of Caesar, when he talks about peace and safety in verse 2, uh, sorry, in verse 3, when he talks about peace and safety. Uh, peace and safety is what the might of Rome was meant to bring. But Paul is saying it's also no avail, not when the ambush comes. And the third illustration that he gives to show that Christ's return is unknown, unexpected, when, is of labour pains on a pregnant woman. Labour pains on a pregnant woman. Now, you know, to be clear, the surprise here is not her discovery that she's pregnant. <laughs> the surprise is that she's finally in labour because you don't get advance warning about when exactly contractions are going to start. And once again, the Thessalonians actually should have known this. They should have known this because even Jesus isn't aware of the exact time of his return. Only the Father knows. That's Matthew 24, verse 36, there on your handout. Now, this is actually a critical part of the Bible's teaching about the future. Paul is saying that even though we can be completely confident that Jesus will return, there are some things we don't know. Now, in fact, there are some things we can't know or you might say there are some things we don't need to know. There is no point in speculating about dates and times. And if I could just say, as an aside, anyone who ever claims to know exactly when Jesus is returning, they're claiming to know more than Jesus does, which I think that probably should set off some alarm bells for us. Okay, instead what Paul does is that he shows the Thessalonians how they live so that they're ready and prepared whenever it happens. Pick it up with me, verses 4 through 8. Verses 4 through 8. Verse 4. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We don't belong to the night or to the darkness, so then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night... Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Uh, Paul picks up on that image of a thief coming in the night from earlier in the chapter. Now he uses it to talk about our readiness levels. And he does it by contrasting what one generally does at night with what one does during the day. So verse 5, verse 5, we are all children of the light and children of the day, we don't belong to the night or to the darkness. Now, for the record, I don't think Paul is particularly having a go at university students at this point. 
know, the ones who never seem to go to bed and are awake at all hours. Uh, rather, what he's doing, I think, is calling us to be awake and sober, as one generally is during the daytime, not to be asleep or drunk, which is far more likely at night. Now, if you want to know what does it mean to be a day person, not a night creature, what does it mean to be a day person, not a night creature, what does it look like in practice? Verse 8, put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. And to be honest, they sound like pretty good adornments to clothe ourselves with anyway. Imagine everyone dressed that way when we came to church. Now, the thing is, actually, Paul has already commended the Thessalonians for doing just that. Do you remember how the letter began? Back in chapter 1, verse 3, I printed it there on your handout. Here's the very first thing that Paul said to the Thessalonians. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what's fascinating is that Paul is going to reach exactly the same conclusion at the end of this section as he did in the last passage. Look at me, verses 9 through 11. Verses 9 through 11. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that, whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Now, verse 10, Paul says, we may live together with him. That exactly parallels chapter 4, verse 17, the previous section. We who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds and we will be with the Lord forever. And likewise, verse 11, where he finishes this section, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing, that exactly parallels verse 18 in chapter 4. Encourage one another with these words. Although, did you notice in chapter 5, verse 11, Paul adds something to that? Chapter 5, verse 11, he says, encourage one another and build each other up. Build each other up. Now, that word there, to build, to build each other up, it's a really strong word. Uh, it's actually often used of physical buildings in the New Testament. But it's also exactly the same word that Jesus uses to describe the universal church that he is assembling. Matthew 16, verse 18, printed there on your handout. Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Paul is telling us that the best way we can prepare for Christ's return, whenever it comes, the best way we can prepare is to encourage one another with these words. And the best words that he can speak to encourage the Thessalonians is, you're already doing it. You're already doing it. And so often we get distracted, or we forget, or we succumb to busyness, or it all just feels too hard or too far away, to which Paul simply says, don't give up now, you're doing just fine. Well, 
Before we wrap up, I wonder if you felt the sting in the tail as Paul does refer to the fate of unbelievers in verse 9. So there's a question here, what about those who are not in Christ when they die? Are they also just sleeping? Verse 9, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say that what happens to unbelievers is not the main idea in this passage, but it is touched on, and so I can't fully ignore it. Let me say that when Paul speaks of those who die without Christ, he's not just saying they are without hope, or that they're not sleeping, or that they've ceased to exist. He's actually saying more than that. He's saying that for them, it is the start of something even more disturbing. He referred to destruction in verse 3, and he speaks of God's wrath in verse 9. Those words, I think, are used in deliberate contrast with the wonderful reference to salvation that we saw in verses 8 and 9. Now, as I said, it's not the main idea of the passage, so I'm not going to dwell on it today. But I do want to say two things, very briefly. Firstly, this is a topic that is never to be taken lightly or glibly, or spoken of harshly and insensitively. Can I say to you, if you want to talk more about this, please come and chat with any of the staff afterwards. But the second thing that I'd like to say, if you are here today as someone who is not a believer, then can I say to you that the reason why your Christian friend keeps trying to talk to you about Christ is because they love you and they are concerned for you and they really want you to share in the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus. Well, let me finish then. Point three, so what for us? What we've seen in this passage today is that there are some things we do know about the future, there are some things we don't know. In fact, some things we cannot know, so some things we don't need to know. But our response is always the same when it comes to being ready and prepared. We are to encourage one another. Now, we've seen today that encouragement requires knowledge to be informed before we speak. And we've seen how encouragement requires words because words really are powerful enough to build us up and to give us hope even in the face of death paul is not is urging not just encouraging words in general but specifically encouraging words about the certainty of christ's return because as i said at the start the big question in today's passage is not how do you feel about death but how do you feel about the fact that Jesus is coming back? You know, oftentimes we will say things like, death is what puts our lives in perspective, or in death our lives will be measured and evaluated, and that's certainly true. But the certainty of Christ's return is the future event against which everything we do will be assessed. And today we've seen that for a Christian who is in Christ, that's what makes sense of everything that we experience now. 
the certainty of Christ's return. That's what makes sense of all the unknowns and all the uncertainties which we deal with, and there are so many. It's what makes sense of all the struggles and the hardships that we endure. They are very real and very painful, but they will not last. And Christ's return, I think, is what actually makes sense of the joys and delights that we experience because when He returns, they will be amplified and enhanced because when we're with Christ, everything will be better by far. Over this last month, uh, we've been talking and praying as a church family about a possible move to two identical all-age AM gatherings. Uh, Next week, I'm planning to report back on some of those conversations. What I'd like to say today is that I've been struck by the gracious way that everyone has approached this topic. Uh, The overwhelming consensus, I think, has been that looking for the best of both our morning gatherings, well, it won't be straightforward, but it will still be worth it. And what I thought I'd do today is use my last words today to encourage you, actually with the testimonies of two of the more senior members of our 9am gathering. Uh, I visited their home group uh, a couple of weeks ago to hear some of their concerns and for them to be able to ask questions and give feedback. I wanted to tell you about what two of their members said. I've asked for their permission, but I want to tell you about what two of their members said. The first is Kay. Kay is um, 88 years young. Sandra, she's a relative spring chicken. She's only in her mid-70s. She joined us when we bought the car park some 30 years ago. Both of them said that, honestly, adjusting to an all-age gathering is going to be very hard for them. And honestly, both said it's not their personal preference. But both of them also said they long to see the gospel go on after them. And they talked about how their friends' churches are literally dying out because they have no young people. And so both said they are willing to make sacrifices for the sake of others because they want to see people saved from the coming wrath even people they will never meet. Brothers and sisters, I think that's what it means to put on faith and hope and love. And actually, they agreed to let me share their stories with you because they wanted you to be built up and encouraged by their words. And I want to say it's a story that I've heard time and time again. Well, I'm going to pause at this point. What I'd love for you to do for just a couple of minutes is to turn to the person next to you and you'll see there's a discussion question that I put at the bottom of your handout. It kind of tries to summarise what we've talked about today and to see how it applies for us. How might knowledge of Jesus' return shape the way you live now? How might the knowledge of Jesus' return shape the way in which you live now? Just for a couple of moments, share with the person next to you and then I'll wrap up and pray for us in a moment. Over to you. Okay, thanks everybody. I'll um, ask you just to uh, pause in those conversations. As the band comes up, I'm going to lead us in prayer. Thanks very much. Let me lead us in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus died and rose again. So we believe that you will bring with him all who have fallen asleep in him. We pray that you might give us uh, the strength to continue to trust, even when that's hard to imagine. And we pray that you might enable us to put on faith and love and hope each day and to encourage one another and build each other up as we look forward to the day of Christ. Amen.